you are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. Would you open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8? And um, you might not have noticed when you came in, but there are a bunch of our pew Bibles are just in the back of the sanctuary underneath those kind of coffee table things. If you, if you want to get up and grab one, if you need one, go ahead and, and go for it right now or open in your own Bible or, uh, you know, if you've got that, that version Bible apps, a really awesome uh, Bible phone app. So, and Sherry Johnson's got some. If you even if you just want to raise your hand, she'd love to bring a Bible over to you. Lord, as we open your word... Uh, open our ears and our eyes in your name. Amen. So at at Bethel, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been in the gospel of Matthew and kind of hearing this story of Jesus. We've been walking through it. um, It might feel slow, but we've actually been just running through the Gospel of Matthew as fast as we possibly can. And today, uh, if you read Preparing for Worship, you read uh, like three chapters, eight, nine, and ten. And so you know that the part that we're at right now, so Jesus has just got done um, teaching everybody on the side of this hill, this mountain, and he's telling them about what it means uh, that he came to earth and what it, and how it changes everything. Um, and so he's been talking about how it changes everything. Uh, but the next section, if you read it, you know, um, so if Jesus is kind of doing show and tell, he did the tell first, and now he's doing the show. So the next two chapters, uh, Jesus does uh, nine miracles. Um, and it's not because Jesus only did nine miracles, but it's because uh, Matthew thought these nine miracles were so important and said something so important about who Jesus was that he organized them in this really specific way. Uh, to communicate, um, not just through Jesus' words, but through his actions, what it means that uh, God came down to earth, lived, died, and rose again, and it changes everything, okay? So that's, that's what we're going through here in Matthew. And, and our job, and this is what Matthew is hoping for, for everybody that reads his book, uh, the people that read it the day after he wrote it, uh, all the way to us today. And, and what he's hoping is that the people who hear these, um, these accounts of what Jesus did, the people that saw him do it, um, he's hoping that all of us will wrestle with a, a difficult truth that we can either believe or, or not, not believe. Um, Matthew's trying to present things that say something about who Jesus is and that we actually wrestle with the claim that Matthew and the Holy Spirit through Scripture is trying to make. He doesn't want us to either accept or reject a, a version of Jesus that's different or that's not uh, quite what he's saying here. So uh, today we're looking at just the very first miracle story. And uh, we're actually, over the course of the week, I'm probably going to do something to talk about some of the other ones if you follow us on Facebook because each of them is is amazing and it's kind of earth-shattering what Matthew is trying to say about Jesus. And it would have uh, it would have disturbed and upset and bothered everybody that saw him do these things. And and it should even um, make us struggle a little bit now too. So, so as we hear these things, it, it's supposed to push us, it's supposed to challenge us. And Matthew wants us to see this and say, okay, this is uh, what Jesus looks like. Am I willing to believe in that person? Um, so, so that's what we're doing. So today, um, <clears throat> the question that's sort of in the, the background of this one is, 
is that word right there. Um, so that's the Hebrew word on top. That's how you say it. Can you guys say kadosh? Kadosh. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun word. Hebrew is a really fun uh, language to speak. It sounds very like intense. There's a lot of throat things going on. So kadosh, kadosh. Ready? Awesome. So, so that word is what your Bible translates as holy. Uh, so if you think about the word holy, and you ever read it in the Old Testament, it's, it's kadosh. So God is kadosh. Um, and if you, uh, you know, we kind of have an idea of what, what it means to be holy today. Um, you know, maybe you think like holy means you're like, you know, exceptionally moral, right? Like a saint, you know, is maybe like holy. Or if somebody thinks they're like exceptionally moral and you're not so sure, you call them, oh, they're kind of holier than thou. You know, oh, I would never do anything like that. But you, you know, of course, you're a sinner or whatever. Um, but it's actually, in the Bible, holiness has less to do, um, it's kind of bigger than what we would call like morality. It's, it's bigger than being like a, a good person or a bad person. In the Bible, on its most basic level, kadosh means separate. Uh, it means distinct. So, so if I asked uh, one of you to stand up and go sit in the corner over there, you would be the, the kadosh one in the room. Set aside, set, set apart for something specific. And the idea is this. Um, the Bible is trying to, to, solve, a, to solve a problem that, that we've all experienced. And, and, and this is kind of how it, it comes into play. So we believe as Christians, and the Bible teaches, that God is separate. He's different from creation, right? He's kadosh. He's holy. Uh, he's the source of all life, all goodness, and all order. And if you read the first, like, three pages of the Bible in the book of Genesis, uh, there's, there's a story about this. Because if you know the story, God creates a, a world out of chaos and, and kind of wasted space, um, so God creates, because God is holy and set apart, he creates a good, ordered, and bursting with life world in uh, Genesis chapter 1. He, he makes a good world, he makes good animals, he makes good humans, very good humans, he says. He puts them apart, he sets them apart uh, in a good garden, right? That's, that's the first story in scripture. And if you know what happens on page three of that story is there's a problem, right? In this good, holy, set-apart, perfect world with good, very good people in it, somehow um, something not good sneaks its way into that situation. Uh, and, and like an infectious disease, if you read chapter three of the Bible, Adam and Eve are, are tricked or convinced or they um, make this terrible choice to allow more death and evil and chaos. They take fruit off a tree they're, they're not supposed to touch. And in that good garden full of good people and good animals in a good place with a good God all set apart, um, evil and death and chaos break into that place and it, and it ruins everything, right? Uh, and people are hurt. Good things get ruined and pain and death are the direct result. And, and we taste it today, right? If, if anybody doesn't think that um, there isn't at least some truth in Genesis chapter 3, I, I point you to your daily life, right? Um, that sometimes even though we try and do the right thing, our relationships still fall apart. Even though we try and do the right thing, we're still imprisoned by uh, addictions or sins or hurtful behaviors. Even though we really are basically a good person, we can be really, really cruel sometimes, right? And maybe you've experienced that in others' behaviors. Maybe you've experienced that chaos and death and evil in the natural world, whether it's natural disasters or unexpected illnesses or tragic accidents. Um, but the Bible believes, and, and I think um, we can all agree, that though the world is sometimes amazingly good, right? 
that the sun hits the milk house door and you're like, thank you, God, right? Uh, sometimes the world is amazingly good, but it also, at the same time, is, is really kind of sick, too. Um, and sometimes those things mix in, in in hard ways. And and the Bible teaches that this isn't what God wanted, that God didn't make the world so it could be full of sickness and death and pain, because uh, God is good and life and beauty. God is kadosh. He's separate from that pain and that evil. And so God is trying to solve the problem in the Old Testament. This is what God's trying to do. He's trying to solve the problem of that sickness. The world is sick and God wants to do something about it. And so what he decides to do in the Old Testament is he picks a people and he kind of does like a reverse quarantine. So he looks at the sick world and he says, I'm going to pick a few people, and I'm going to try and keep them safe from, from the sickness, from death, from sin, from uncleanness. So that I, he's like, I'm going to set apart a people from the rest of the world so that at least in one place on earth, um, this illness isn't going to destroy everything. And he calls the, that people Israel, and he sets them apart, and he calls them Kadosh. He says, I want to make a Kadosh people. And so that at least there's one people on the face of the earth that can communicate with a Kadosh God, and he gives them all kinds of rules to help make that possible. He says, you know, uh, the best way for you guys to stay Kadosh holy is to avoid um, the other people in the world right now. That's, that's what he says. So he creates all kinds of rules. He says, don't eat this kind of food. Uh, don't behave in this kind of way. Don't interact with this kind of person. He creates this really intense structure to kind of keep them separate. He puts them in a place. And if you've ever, does anybody have dietary restrictions, right? If you have dietary restrictions, you know it's hard to eat with other people. God does that on purpose. He's trying to separate them apart, make them, them kadosh. And so the Old Testament is all about this kadosh people that God is trying to keep from getting infected with the, the disease that we all experience on the earth. And, and part of that has to do with how they worship God. And so for you to worship God, if you're an Israelite, uh, if you're a part of the kadosh people, the holy people, uh, you have to do it in a special place called a temple. And if you want to approach that special temple, you need to make sure that you're clean of the, the infection, right? The stuff in the world that's not, that's not great. And so the, the Bible has a way of talking about this. And it talks about it as just how we would, as being clean or, or unclean. Um, and so there are all kinds of things you can do to become clean. God provides a process in Leviticus for anybody to become clean. And then uh, the Bible also talks about things that will make you ritually unclean. And those three things are, this is how you become unclean. It's not a moral judgment. It's stuff that happens to everybody in the ancient world. If you come in contact with something that's dead, you become unclean. Uh, if you come in contact with um, some of the, the life fluids, the bodily fluids inside of people, you become ceremonially unclean. And if you come in contact with somebody that has a skin disease, you become unclean. Um, the Bible talks about them as people with leprosy, but it could be all kinds of skin ailments. And, and so, you know, those are the three things. And, you know, it's life. It's okay if that happens to you. You're not unclean forever. If you, you know, you have to do a funeral or whatever, you, you come in contact with the body, and then there's a process to become clean again. You make a sacrifice. You bathe a bunch. Um, there's a ritual. It makes, it makes sense, maybe a little bit. Um, so there's clean and unclean. Maybe not. Uh, this is kind of the best example I can think of of what it means today to be clean or unclean. Uh, so if you can see that picture, that's a picture of me, um, the most scared I've ever been in my entire life. Um, so uh, that took place on the morning of July 5th, 2015. And 
Erin uh, was having our first son, Foster, and she had been brought back into the OR for a unscheduled, unplanned, uh, a kind of emergency C-section. And so they whisked her away, and then um, I, they left me in the room, and then they came and got me, and they whisked me away to another room, and they made me put all that stuff on my head. They made me wash my hands really good. I had to wear that cool hat and that, um, that neat white coat. Um, because they wanted to make sure that when I went into the operating room to be with, with Aaron, that I wasn't going to bring anything in there that might make her sick, right? They wanted to make sure that in that special place that's set aside for healing and bringing life and saving lives, that I wouldn't bring any, any death in there um, and, and cause, cause her harm. Um, because the operating room is designed for, for saving lives. And, and I have to think that even though the people that read the Old Testament and in Jesus' day didn't know anything about germs, they didn't know anything about operating rooms, I think they would understand that there are some places that you have to make really sure you're clean before you approach them. I think they would get this just, just like that. And just like today, where you would never um, uh, break somebody's skin, cut somebody open in an unclean room, uh, no one would approach a holy God, a kadosh God, without making really, really sure that they were clean, okay? So this is, this is the world that Jesus was born into. Uh, imagine you live in this world and your grandparents and your great-grandparents understand this difference. You can either be clean or unclean, and it's okay to become unclean, but it's a pain to, to get clean again. And so this is still going strong. And so that's kind of the basis. We're going to head into the text. So there's these four short verses, and in them, uh, Jesus is going to kind of stick his hands underneath the table of this idea, and he's just going to throw it as high into the air as he can, and just everything goes, he goes everywhere. It, it turns everything upside down. Um, so let's, let's take a look. So here's Matthew 8. Get that picture gone. Oh, there we go. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, here's the beginning of Matthew 8. So if you've got it in your book, I don't have all of it up there, but it starts when Jesus came down from the mountainside. He's been teaching about this new world that's coming. Uh, large crowds are following him. Um, so Jesus just got done teaching. There's all these people around, and, and this is the first thing that happens, the first thing that Matthew wants us to think about. Uh, a man with leprosy, so again, a, a persistent skin ailment, uh, came and knelt before Jesus, and he says this, Lord, if you are willing you can make me clean. Remember, clean, unclean. If you had leprosy in the ancient world, um, you could never enter uh, God's temple. You could never worship God. You could never bring a sacrifice on your own. In fact, if you had leprosy in the ancient world, you could never be around other people because if you touch them, what happens to them? They become unclean, and now they can't go in the temple. So if you have leprosy, you're basically um, like the closest thing in the Bible to like a zombie. Like, you want to stay as far away from people as you can. In Jesus' day, as people walked into town, if you had business to do in town and you were a leper, um, and you're a good person, they would encourage you to say, unclean, 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 everywhere you went, so that other people wouldn't accidentally bump into you in the road and become unclean themselves. This is what it's like. So imagine uh, you've never been able to touch other people or be around other people. This is the person that confronts Jesus. And, and you notice what he says. Uh, he doesn't ask what, what I would ask of Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, do you think you can help me? He doesn't say, do you think you can help me? Uh, no, he knows. He has faith. In fact, he's already taken a step towards um, trouble in even approaching Jesus. His question isn't, Lord, can you help me? It's, Lord, are you willing? If you're willing, you can make me clean. 
Because this man, he knows the law. And so he asks a question about who Jesus is and just how upside down uh, Jesus is going to turn this world. Because he knows that nobody would ever deal with him unless they absolutely had to. So he asks the question of Jesus, not do you have the power, but what kind of person are you, Lord? Are you willing? And, and if, you're, if you're in the crowd and you see this guy and, you know, there's like skin falling off his face, he's the picture of unclean. Everything he touches has to be washed. You know, it's, it's, like, um, it's like a toddler running at you wearing like a white tuxedo, uh, but your toddler is just covered in ketchup. Like, like that's what everybody is seeing in this moment. They're like, what is that guy going to do to the holiest person I've ever heard of? Or it's like a doctor about to walk into the operating room and the gardener walks in and like wants to like shake his hand. Everybody's like, whoa, 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 no, don't do that. Uh, and so here they are. Everybody's here. We're in the crowd, right? We're, we're holding our breath. We're wondering what Jesus is going to say to this guy. You know, maybe he'll ignore him. That would have been a totally normal thing to do, to just keep on walking. Maybe he'll kind of pray for him from afar or something like, oh, you know, just, you know, be well over there. Please stay over there. Um, But instead, here's what happens, right? Uh, Jesus reaches out his hand towards the man. And now you can imagine, you know, it's like, it's dead, dead silent. Because everybody's like breathed that breath in. Nobody's breathing anymore. Because everybody knows, and your dad knows, and your grandfather knows, and your great-grandfather knows. It's in your bones as a Jew at the time that if Jesus touches that man, he will become unclean. And again, it's not the end of the world, but he might catch leprosy if he's unlucky. If he's lucky, um, Jesus will have this weeks-long process of ritual bathing and offering sacrifices to become clean again. Uh, But so as as the hand goes, everybody's holding their breath, and then uh, Jesus does it, right? He reached out his hand. There we go. And touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy, Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, uh, but instead go show yourself to the priest. He says, follow the law. If anybody was healed of a skin ailment, they had to go to the priest and say, hey, look, I'm better. Now I can, you know, give the gift and come back in the community. He says, go and and tell the priest. And so this story, this four verses, you know, when I read it the first time this week or you know, it, it doesn't seem like a big deal. I know it seems small, you know, a skin ailment. That seems like just the the, like, lamest thing to be healed of in the world. Like, this guy's walking. You know, it's not exactly feeding 5,000 people. Um, You know, it's not exactly walking on water, right? Um, But you've got to understand that nothing like this has ever happened before to anyone. Because something uh, fundamental changes. This, uh, for the people that lived that day, this was like all of a sudden gravity was backwards and when you drop things, it went up into the sky. That's how shocking this was. Because now all of a sudden, instead of sin and death and uncleanness being this like contagious infection that's gonna work its way into whoever comes in contact with unclean and sinful and dead people, instead of that happening, um, the river like flows the other way. Instead of illness being contagious in Jesus, it's uh, kadosh that's contagious. Instead of being worried about making sure to keep Jesus safe from being, becoming unclean, um, anybody that touches him becomes clean. And as you read these stories, you'll see this repeat over and over again in these next nine. It's so shocking uh, that Jesus doesn't even want him to say much because he doesn't want to be around when people find out yet that he's doing this. 
Um, because Jesus, uh, Jewish people and the Old Testament, it seemed to teach that the best thing you can do about sin and evil and the infection of the world, that a good world we live in that has bad stuff in it, the best thing you can do uh, is stay away from it. And, and if you touch it, if you come in contact with death or sin or whatever, uh, you wash yourself and you stay away from it tomorrow. And the whole Old Testament is dedicated to uh, teaching people to stay away from that contagion, to recognize it and to avoid it. And even, in, even today, I think, um, I don't think we'd ever say this out loud, um, but there's a part of us that feels this way, this way too. Um, I think even today, um, ourselves, we're, we're worried about coming in contact with anyone that's a, a little unclean. We're worried that if anybody knew what was going on in my life or, or your life, that people would turn their back on us, right? Um, we're worried that if all of a sudden that thing that we don't want anybody to know came out, people would distance themselves from us. And even on the other side, and I, and I see this happen, I feel it happen to myself, and I see in other people that even sometimes when our loved ones um, get sick or hurt or get into trouble somehow, um, there's a part of us that is afraid to draw near to them. There's this latent, underneath the surface thing that I think we all have to one degree or another that says, don't get too close to that hurting person. Don't get too close to that sick person that poor person or that sinner, because if we do get too close, they might, they might pull us down a little bit. They might make it harder for us to do the right thing, harder for us to stay, right, kadosh, holy in maybe our own eyes. And everyone watched that watched Jesus touch that leper, I guarantee you they felt the same thing. And that leper was probably worried about the same thing, that his uncleanness would taint the clean Jesus. But something completely unexpected happened. Instead of becoming unclean by touching him, uh, Jesus, instead of him catching the sickness, the leper catches holiness. He caught Kadosh. And if you grew up in this world, your whole life you've been told it was the other way around because evil is contagious. Chaos is contagious. Death is contagious. But here is Jesus proving that in him, the exact opposite is true. In Jesus, it's life and order and healing and good and cleanness that catch. Kadosh is infectious. The river flows the other way. And Jesus will spend the next eight stories in Matthew um, walking into situations of chaos and death and evil and touching them and watching the chaos, the death and the evil get infected by hope and good and life. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us this story um, because he wants us to think about just how powerful Jesus is. He doesn't put it here just because it's interesting or amazing. He does it for a reason. He wants, us, wants to make it clear that, believe it or not, um, in no uncertain terms, Jesus changed the world on a fundamental level, a foundational level. Matthew preserved the story so we could read it and hear it and hear the claim that in Jesus it's good that catches and then we get to decide if, if we believe it or, or not. Um, and so the question that I've wrestled with this week and I want to leave you with as we finish our service of worship is are you ready to believe that in Jesus and therefore in the church, the body of Christ, it's holiness that catches that goodness and life are more powerful than uncleanness, evil, and death. 
What if we lived like the world wouldn't infect us, but that it might catch something good from our presence in difficult and dark situations? Imagine how that would change your relationships with people in need. Imagine how that would change what you're willing to share about the hard things in your own life. Imagine how that would change the places we go together as a church. What if we believed that God's goodness was contagious? Would you pray with me? Lord God, you sent your son to live and die and rise again. And when he walked the earth, everywhere he went, darkness fled. Everywhere he went, persistent sickness and evil couldn't stand it anymore. Everyone he touched was infected by goodness and holiness and life. And then he died and rose again. And we're promised that if we put our trust and our hope in you, you'll transform us and that together we'll be the body of Christ on earth. And that means, Lord, that wherever we go as a church, your goodness, your holiness, and your life follows. It's hard to believe sometimes, God. Help us to believe it. Help us to live like it. Help us to be honest with you about our hurts and hang-ups and things that need to be healed and help us to draw near to people who need help. We thank you for what you've done and what you're doing. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.